Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Better, better, better. And we are entering the banter segment. And welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. It's good to hear from you out there, or hopefully it's good for you to hear from us. Yes, that's that sounds better than hopefully I don't know. I'm really I'm really, really tired because it's been a hundred degrees today. And you get to work outside. And I work outside. So, uh, yeah. And then I went and swam for like an hour. So. Oh, that's great. And see, we had a great plan for what we were going to do tonight. But unfortunately, Mother Nature was not happy with the other two voices. You probably are sad you can't hear right now, listeners. It is true. Both Jules and Nolops are both down without the power. The, the, the stories that they tell are hilarious about it. We'll get them to do that next time, because we're going to come back and do what we were going to plan. Yeah. But since you've just got myself in Zen tonight. <laughs> I know, right? So, you know, we had we did have a, the last episode, which you guys have just listened to. We had a, a fun interview with Jeffrey over at the World Builders Anvil. And that kind of got us thinking about some stuff that we were wanting to do anyway, and so we just moved some things around, and and we're doing this one a little bit earlier than we would have. But what is it? Today, what we're going to do is do a little bit of world building on how to build out a sci-fi world for you to run in. We talk about GMing a lot. We talked about been talking a lot about campaign building and, and what you do to ensure that you can build a campaign out of something. But now let's talk a little bit about building a world and because it's Zen and I, we're going to talk about sci-fi. Yeah, because we both like that. <laughs> yeah. So check the notes in doodly-doo. You know that I, I have put words up there for you to see and linkages that we're going to reference. Uh, but we've got kind of three pillars, what I think of as sliders, that you need to kind of figure out how you're going to work into your sci-fi world. Yes. And the first is, you know, science fiction versus science fantasy versus space opera. Very much about tone and feel of the world, and especially as it relates to your characters. Uh, the more space opera, the further away from science fiction you get, uh, for me, the more kind of exceptional and unrealistic uh, the, the character's actions can be. And then the amount of influence they can have is much more, you know, daring do. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it feels a lot more more pulp 
Space opera is really, uh, how do I put it? Uh, it's pulp, but with pitch black space instead of inky streets. Yeah. Yeah. And two-fisted adventurers jetting across the cosmos, taking on entire galactic regimes themselves. Yeah. Ooh, I just thought of a great one for that. And what did you think of for that? So, in, in the show notes, you, you have Buck Rogers. But, I just thought of another one. And that's Flash Gordon. I, that, I was flipping my coin between those two. But yeah, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon are yeah. really, I think, your best examples of space opera. Uh, they are. Flash and, Gordon's and got... very, punch him in the face, where the good guys are going to win. I mean, Buck Rogers very much does not have hard and fast rules, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it in that universe. Uh, you've got space vampires, okay? Yeah. Look, I remember this, and, and if you haven't seen the show, which you know began running in 1979, you got to go back, if just for Tweaky. Oh, God, Tweaky. Yes. Now, everyone who's ever seen it now has this all in their head, and it's all coming back to them. Uh, but it's about being weird, larger than life. The weird dog thing in that. <laughs> I used to have an action figure for him. So, <laughs> Obviously, this is a show and a whole mythology that's affected us greatly, and yeah. is a good example of space opera. Uh I liked using Star Wars as the science fantasy opera. Uh, usually you'll see it, you know, put in the opposite side of science fiction, but with this scale having three, it kind of falls in the middle because it's got more fantastical elements. I mean, space wizards, lightsabers, the force. Yeah. Um, but there are rules in that universe more so. And it's within those rules that the status quo is challenged as opposed to, you know, a regular pilot from our age sent hundreds of years into the future, cracking their knuckles and going, well, then, let's put a stop to this. Right. Right. This is all founded in their own, well, I mean, if you go by theirs, it's it's from a long time ago. But, but this, again, know. how far down the science fiction road you want to go really yeah. colors tone. Um, and it, it colors, yeah, your character's actions. It does. And and then the more, I, I don't want to say gritty, but the more realistic you have more in the science fiction realm than the other two. Right, and it doesn't need to be gritty, but it's just science fiction is much more grounded in you know the limits of physics, for lack right. of a better way of putting it. Yeah. So you have things like, you know, The Expanse, you have, uh, God, I'm trying to think of some of the other, um, space well, above like, and beyond got like close. Neuromancer, you know, I, the direction that people feel like things are going that could be, because you're not going to all of a sudden have, you know, space wizards and, you know, world regimes that or galactic regimes with one dude beating somebody in the face. I mean, those are much more on that within the realms of what could be possible in theory. And this is stuff that we'll want to come back to and want to look at even more. Yeah. Because it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. But it 
dovetails into the other thing you're probably thinking of when you're thinking about building out a sci-fi world, and that's your tech level. Yeah. Yeah, because um, if if you're at all familiar with GURPS, hmm. and if you're not, you really should at some point take a look at that system. Because If not the system, just some of the splat books. Well... Yeah, I mean, GURPS is great for splat books. If you need an idea for, you know... GURPS was doing the kind of splat book production that Evil Hat does with Fate now, but back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. So they probably already have it written. Yes, they do. (laughs) But the thing is is that with that, they, they kind of coined the term of tech levels... And what, if you, if for no other reason, look at the tech levels that GURPS uses, because it kind of starts at, like, zero, where, like, mankind can't really do much of anything, all the way to, I think it's in, like, the 20s or 30s? Uh, I think it maxes out at 15, if I remember GURPS Ultra Tech correctly. Is it? I yeah. Think it's, a, it's, a, it's a big enough number that you're like, well, what? But, yeah, like, as certain key points in the technology curve goes, the more almost fantastical you can get. Um, I will confirm, having pulled Ultratech off the shelf, because yes, I have it that close, tech level 16 is the highest in that book. And we're talking things like disintegrators, tachyon disruptors, stasis webs, teleportation. Uh, We're talking about reality stabilizers. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Now, and, uh, this may for sound reference, very, very crazy and fantastical, but that is still like feasibly possible. At least mm-hmm. when it was done, when it was mm-hmm. done, the ideas had not been fully tested for things like they, they. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm going to probably be wrong, but I I think that somebody had just done something about teleportation, and they basically said that you, like, the way the physics work, it will never be correct. Yeah, this was years before that. Yeah. And this was like, it, it was like, yes, you can teleport, because that's science fiction, and... You know, you had Star Trek where they were beaming people down to planets because they were converting them to energy. But you can't do that and then reassemble them because they're not there anymore. It's much more like in, oh, was it the Prodigy? Uh, Tech level 16 teleport projectors are teleporters. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's the classic beam me up Star Trek one hex size. Think very carefully before you actually introduce them. But what we're trying to get at with tech levels is it's like the magic slider for your fantasy games, and it doesn't have to map to the whole science fiction, science fantasy, space opera question, uh, because you can have a high tech level science fiction, you can have a low tech uh, kind of space opera, and you know, high-tech science fiction, a good example is going to be the Foundation series from Isaac Asimov. And if you've never read the Foundation, trust me, 
Asimov pretty much goes, all right, this is where tech is going to end up in thousands of years, and that's just it. And the story it tells is engaging, but all based on that realistic feel. Uh, it, it's it's further in the future in an outgrowth of his robot series, which you probably have read. So yes, it takes the tech in you know Robots of Dawn into the future, beyond that. Yeah. Uh, low tech space opera. I like to use Firefly as an example. It's very much low tech, but there's a wistful romanticism about it in being a a western in space that I think is better defined as a space opera. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's much more like the rules are not like hard and fast in in Firefly. There's a lot more of the give and take that you expect from from a space opera. Now it's and a it's gritty like, one, but <laughs> it's gritty and it's low tech, but it's also like I said there's that there's the wistfulness. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's important to take science fiction and tech level separately on, on these three sliders for me is because sometimes I want low tech science fiction. Sometimes yeah. I want something that's you know, the expanse is gonna go back to that because it's on my mind because the new season will come out soon, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And that's a really different experience than a high-tech space opera like Flash Gordon or a high science fantasy. And all of those things give you a different feel, and you can mix and match them. The high-tech to the low-tech, the science fiction to the space opera. But how you use them gets to our third slider. And yes, we're going a little faster than usual because it's only the two of us, and we don't yeah. have to you too long. <laughs> My voice may be... Um, passable on the radio, but it's nothing like that of our missing compatriots. The final slider, allegorical utility. Oh, boy. Science fiction, traditionally and classically, highlights existing problems and conflicts in the futuristic setting and tech is allows a discussion of charged political events and conundrums. How heavily you lean into that trope of science fiction is where is what this slider does. Yeah. It I don't think you can have science fiction without there being some kind of underlying allegorical component. And so how overt you want to be is the question. Uh there there are you know some series and books start off very low allegory and then in ramp it up Part of it depends on the authors and the people making these stories and if they feel they need to express a different kind of a story. If you have a fascist and dictatorial regime uh, in your space opera, are you just up against them from the get-go as the big obvious bad guys? Or is this a story about the characters awakening from being part of this regime, like you know V for Vendetta as an example? Uh, is it about defining life in first contact scenarios and drawing allegories to colonialism? Is it about, you know, these are hard to set because they're the most charged, the most powerful ideological conflicts for human history. Yes. And, and how do you use them? And that is, yes, exactly. How do you use them? Do you want to use them? Now, for some people, they're just like, I just want to go 
and shoot some bad guys on a distant planet, then that is that is a way like a way low allegory. All of that, and that's low, that's low allegory. Great if that's what you want to do. And now, if you but if you want to do something more along the lines of something like Star Wars or like Flash Gordon, where they're overthrowing these, you know, empirical, you know, galactic empires, then that is a much higher allegorical utility than than the others. You know, you if you've got this and how you're going to use it, if you're never going to use it, then it's you're way on the low side. And that's great. If that's what you, if that's what the group agrees to wanting to do, that's awesome. But do not, that's one, this is one of those that you can't just, you know, bait and switch on them. Because if you want to tell a certain type of story, but they're not going to be there for it, find the people that will be there for that story that you want to tell. Once again, this goes it. back to yeah, communication <laughs> with your table. Yeah, I, we've established that I love the the political and intrigue and social based stories, but if I try to run a game that no player wants to do that, they will just take their axe out and they will cut through my my carefully crafted political stories and ignore them. Yeah. And so, if you want to have an allegorical, high allegorical setting, because I think there's always allegory, no matter how hard you try to hide it. Then make sure your players are in up for it, or at least not opposed to it. And yeah. that also will come out in role playing. That'll make something a lot more interesting and matter a lot more. It will. It All right, really this was a, this was a really quick overview uh, of building out a sci-fi world. But I think these are the three sliders to really focus on. And what I want you to do is find us on social media. Find us on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook group. I have a new Facebook page for Gordon Mojay. And tell, uh, tell us where you put those sliders. Tell us what your favorite balance on these three sliders is. And so you can get the links in the doodly-doo, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You know what else? You can go to Patreon, sign up on Patreon for a few bills. Or I think that's... Tumblr. Yeah. We, we have, have a Tumblr? T- we do have a Tumblr. It's just... Ah. Basically republishes the the show. I I, I don't have a Tumblr, so I'm I, I am tumbleless. It's it's okay. I didn't even really start using it until after they they like purged the uh, the adult content from there. So it's been very very dead, apparently compared to what it used to be. Uh, <laughs> I I I. Posted on there for a little while, and nobody ever comments on anything. So we may end up losing the Tumblr one. But I've been playing. If you with it. reblog us on Tumblr, if you want us to stay there, if you think that we should have someone set up a Pinterest page and do a, a Seize the GM Pinterest set of boards, let us know that as well. We will be glad to listen to any and all input. But in the meantime. Before we go too much deeper off, as I've already inserted the self-referential linking and find us on social media, Zen, take it away. All right, so we are going to head on over to our lexicon. Lexicon, where we give you 
cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay. I got a good word for this week. Yay! I do. And and you like this word, too, so... And that is uh, Janissary. Oh, the Janissaries. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Cutting Aces review. Go back and re-listen to our Cutting Aces review, and I've mentioned them in there. Yes. Yeah, I've been, like, uh, dying to use this one since then. Because <laughs> like, I, I, I have... I had, like, a huge list of all these words, and that was one of them, and I'm just like, oh, I so need to use this word. And, and I just I just have it in order, and I just go down the list. And this was pretty low on the list. That's why I remembered it, because I had just finished redoing, like, my list. And I'm like, oh, Judiciary is such a good word. Yeah. It's <laughs> the name of the elite Turkish troops that were usually uh, made from... Um, Often eunuchs and were the descendants of captured uh, individuals in the. Come on, come on! Remember, fifteenth uh, to nineteenth century, and at one point amassed significant political power, which is part of what led to their uh, dissolution about a hundred years before Ataturk formed modern Turkey. Okay, so here's what it says: the first <laughs> definition which is often capitalized, is the soldier of an elite corps of Turkish troops organized in the 14th century and abolished in 1826. Not bad. Uh, and the second one is a member of a group of loyal or subservient troops, officials, or supporters. So if you're, if you're not using the official, like, capital... Janissaries, just a general word for it. Could be any group that's loyal to a specific cause. They were. I mean, the thing about the Janissaries you have to remember is they were an elite set of troops. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were individuals who, you know, people were terrified of them, and I think they showed up with. um, they, They would make noise. They would do the whole. You know, we were making noise, and they used uh, like tambourines and other percussion instruments, and they were particularly uh, feared. And they they sold it like converts because they generally were. And that's one of the first um, kind of standing militaries, and, and and part of why the Ottoman Empire was an empire. Yeah, yeah. Now the history and etymology for this is really, really screwy and convoluted. So if you really want to see it, um, please check out the show notes because it it branches everything from Middle French to Italian to Turkish. And so, I mean, it's got a bunch of different, like... It's a compound Combinations of... How they came and used it. So, yeah, it's it's one that is really really hard to explain how it was it was done and how the yeah. word came into being. Which is part of why it's such a fun word and why it has its own secondary meaning of a group of loyal or subservient troops, officials, or supporters. Yep. And the first known use of Janissary is actually fifteen twenty nine. In the original, like, capitalized 
Turkish troops. So, and its uh, lookup popularity is in the bottom 30% of words. That's because we know what it means. Well, we do, but not everybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a cool word. Now, normally we would have done a stat block, but because this was kind of a last minute. And um, the plan change. didn't include stat blocks, which you will see in the next episode. You'll see why in the next when you come couple. back to the next episode. Yeah. Uh, so instead of a stat block, we're going to go right to our closing remarks. Yes. All right, take it away, Zen. Okay, so there is a a series of comic that I the trade just came out. Uh, I want to say like maybe a month ago. And it's called God Complex. It's from Image Comics. And it is a science fiction sort of thing. It it basically combines like Roman mythology and philosophy with a Blade Runner style murder mystery like Neo Noir. And the gods walk the earth again. (laughs) But it's all tied in with technology and all kinds of other really cool things. So that uh, that science fantasy, there it is. (laughs) So, and I wanted to yeah look at sci-fi world building myself too, and then. Uh, one of the things that happened to pop up on the Amazon Prime video recently was Farscape. Now, if you are not familiar with Farscape because you are one of our youthful listeners, Farscape was the first marquee program for the Sci-Fi Channel back when it still was SCI-FI. And it was made in conjunction with the Henson Company. And Brian Henson was given a huge amount of reign in creating this world, and so its practical effects for most everything in a unique science fiction world that I think has had some serious influence on prestige TV and on what we expect out of uh, world building today. And it it uh, uh, kind of yeah. set the stage for sci-fi to be a thing. It really did, because I, I think at one point they were saying that a single episode of Farscape cost almost as much as a feature-length movie. Later seasons, you can see that, and they'll, they do the same thing where they will yeah. save up their special effects budgets for the last, like, two episodes of a season yeah. and crack their knuckles and go, alright, boys and girls. Yeah, and, and it's, it's fun. Uh, complete, completely unique and original world. Yeah. If you've got Amazon Prime, go watch a couple of episodes. Season one is fun, and it just builds on itself in a fantastic way. Yeah. It really does. I enjoy it. But I think that's I think that's gonna wrap it up, guy. We, I think we just hammered this thing out. That's <laughs> probably a good length of time for one that we're like, hey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for listening. You know where to find us. If you don't, check the Doodly Doo, the show notes, which has the Instagram, email, Twitter, Facebook page, Facebook group, all of that. And Zen will even make sure the Tumblr we mentioned is in there. In the yes. meantime, 
Have a great couple of weeks. And we will see you guys real soon. Roll some dice. Have some fun. All right. Bye. You can contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardeMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seize the GM.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash seize the GM podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended, and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.